0: Part 2 Chapter 7 of Canada's Hundred Days This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gerald Hawkins, Santa Clara, California. Canada's Hundred Days by John Livesey. Part 2 chapter 7 operations september 1 to 3 drocor to guion line continued we will let the first canadian division again tell its own story the attack of the first canadian division was carried out by the 3rd and 2nd brigades from right to left respectively the first brigade being held in divisional reserve On the morning of September 2, at five o'clock, the artillery and machine-gun barrage opened, and the infantry at once began to move forward into what proved to be a day of bitter fighting. The 3rd Brigade, at the time of the opening of the attack, had two battalions holding the line, the 15th, recruited from the 48th Highlanders of Toronto, and the 14th, the Royal Montreal Regiment. The two remaining battalions, the 16th, Canadian-Scottish of the West, and 13th, Montreal Highlanders, carried out the assault on the Drocourt-Quayant line, and were then to be leapfrogged by the 15th and 14th, who were to capture Bois de bûche Bois de Lausanne, and Cagnacourt. The 2nd Brigade, on the left, were attacking on a one-battalion front, and were using two battalions, the 7th of Vancouver, to capture the Drocourt-Quayant system on their front, and the 10th of Alberta, to carry the attack as far as the western outskirts of Boissy. The 1st Brigade was to continue the attack from this point, and secure the crossings of the Canal du Nord. The attack proceeded rapidly, and according to plan, up to the time of the capture of the Drôcourt-Quayant line on the divisional front, in spite of a very heavy enfilade fire from the right flank, southwest of the village of Cognacourt. The tanks, of which there were eighteen operating on the divisional front, did great service in the capture of the drocourt system strong resistance was met by our troops east of this trench line and the attack slowed up very considerably the battle devolved upon platoon company and battalion commanders and it was only by the initiative and determination of all ranks actually engaged in the foremost lines that the enemy was slowly but surely pressed back on the right the chief obstacle was flanking fire from the south On the left, the strongly fortified village of Villers-le-Canucourt and an isolated factory on the R.S. Cambrai road were the center of resistance. By four o'clock in the afternoon, with the assistance of batteries of artillery attached to battalions and under cover of machine-gun and Lewis-gun fire, our line had been established east of the villages of Canucourt and Villers-le-Canucourt a supplementary barrage was arranged for six o'clock that evening and under cover of it the infantry again advanced by this time the leading battalions of the first brigade the third recruited from toronto district and the fourth central ontario had become involved in the fighting the struggle for the capture of the Buissy switch and for the sunken roads leading south from buissey was long and desperate but by individual perseverance our troops at eleven o'clock that night had reached a line running roughly north and south just west of the village of Buissy. the third brigade had suffered very heavy casualties during the day and were therefore relieved during the night by the first brigade the fourth battalion going into line with the second battalion eastern ontario in support and the first western ontario and third in reserve. At dawn, therefore, of September 3, our line ran along the railway, and rode east of Bois-de-Buche, as far as the Bussy switch, and then due north to the Cambrai road, with a defensive flank thrown back along this road for a distance of nearly two thousand yards. After a day of intense hand-to-hand fighting, this was a result of which the division was proud. In spite of the fact that the enemy was very strong numerically, as witnessed the two thousand seven hundred forty six prisoners captured in forty-eight hours of battle, and that he fought desperately, a fact amply proved by the five hundred dead in the area in front of the Drocourtant line and around the villages of Cognacourt and villers le cognacord in spite of these obstacles and the high number of machine-guns with which the enemy was armed the line reached by the leading troops of the first division was well in advance of that reached by the flanking divisions in fact throughout most of the day the division had fought with both flanks in the air although troops of the sixty-third british division succeeded in reaching in that evening The infantry was well supported by all other arms of the service. The artillery, both in its concerted barrage fire and in the work of its advanced batteries, was responsible for the creation of many openings in the enemy's defenses. The attached machine-gun batteries operating with the leading infantry had many opportunities of inflicting casualties on the enemy opportunities that were seized and made the most of it. The tanks, too, were a great factor in the forcing of the drillcourt line. After our artillery barrage died down, however, every one of the eighteen tanks became a casualty. So ended the fight for the drillcourt line. There still remained the Canal du Nord to be crossed. Many a gallant deed was done that day, but none finer than that of Lieutenant-Colonel C.W. Peck, MP for Scana, B.C., a man well into middle age who commanded the 16th Battalion, Canadian-Scottish, recruited from Winnipeg to the coast. The 16th Battalion, as has been seen, was given the task of capturing the Drill line on our extreme right flank, which was in the air. Lt. Col. Peck's command quickly captured its first objective but progress was held up by enemy machine-gun fire on its right flank the situation being extremely difficult he rushed forward and made a personal reconnaissance under heavy machine-gun fire having reconnoitred the position he returned and reorganized his battalion and acting upon his knowledge thus personally gained pushed them forward and arranged the protection of his flank he then went out under the most intensive artillery and machine-gun fire intercepted the tanks and gave them necessary directions pointing out where they were to make for and thus a way was opened for his battalion to push forward he subsequently gave the requisite support to his men by his magnificent display of courage and fine quality of leadership he personally led the advance although always under heavy fire, and contributed largely to the success of the brigade attack. Colonel Peck rallied his battalion at a critical moment by instructing his piper, always attached to his person, to march ahead with him into action, skirling his pipes. The piper was wounded, but another took his place. Some days later this piper in the casualty clearing section at Douesson, when asked how he did, "'interrupted thus, "'How is old Cy Peck?' "'And on being told he was uninjured, cried, "'Then if he's all right, I'm all right.'" In its assault on the Drokorquant line on the morning of September 2, the 7th Battalion of Vancouver had, as we have seen, a very hard task, and it was by the individual initiative and daring of the rank and file that the positions were taken. Thus Corporal Walter Lay Rayfield, a native of Redmond, Washington, rushed ahead of his company, a trench filled with the enemy, bayoneting two and taking ten prisoners. Later he located and engaged with great skill, under constant rifle fire, an enemy sniper who was causing many casualties. He then rushed the section of trench from which the sniper had been operating, and so demoralized the enemy by his daring and coolness that thirty surrendered to him again he left cover and under heavy machine-gun fire carried in a badly wounded comrade the tenth battalion of alberta passed through the seventh at villers le Cagnicourt, but for a time were held up after an unsuccessful attack sergeant arthur george knight a native of red hill england led a bombing section forward under a very heavy fire of all descriptions and engaged the enemy at close quarters seeing that his party was still held up he dashed forward alone bayoneting several of the enemy machine gunners and trench mortar crews and directing his fire on the retreating enemy inflicted heavy casualties in the advance of his platoon in pursuit sergeant knight saw a party of about thirty of the enemy go into a deep tunnel which led off the trench. He again dashed forward alone, and, having killed one officer and two NCOs, captured twenty other ranks. Later on he routed single-handed another enemy party, opposing the advance of the platoon. Sergeant Knight, who enlisted at Regina, died of the wounds he here received. In this brilliant action he was assisted particularly by Private Eddie Hume of Calgary. Corporal W. Paget, of the same battalion, performed an exceptional bombing feat in front of Cognacore on the same day, breaking up a strong enemy point of resistance. North of the Cambrai Road, our troops, after their initial success, had before them an extraordinarily difficult task. The 4th Canadian Division attacked in the first place, DROCORQUE line IN FRONT OF DURI, IN ITSELF A VERITABLE FORTRESS. THIS VILLAGE IS SITUATED ON THE CREST OF A slope WHICH HERE PRESENTS ALL CHARACTERISTICS OF A SMOOTH GLOSSES, AND ACROSS THIS, EACH 75 YARDS DEEP, WERE THREE SOLID TIERS OF WIRE. BEHIND THEM, AND ON A HIGHER PLANE, RAN THE SUNKEN ROAD FROM Hendecourt TO DURI, AND IN THIS ROAD ENEMY MACHINE-GUNNERS, ENSCONCED IN STEEL AND CONCRETE POSTS, SWEPT THE ENTIRE FIELD OF APPROACH. WALKING OVER THIS slope A DAY OR TWO LATER, A BRITISH STAFF OFFICER REMARKED THAT THE POSITION WAS IMPREGNABLE, HAD THE ENEMY CHOSEN TO DEFEND IT. AH, NO, OUR DEAD TELL THE TALE. EXTRAORDINARY GALLANTRY WAS SHOWN BY THE TROOPS. IN STORMING THE SUNKEN ROAD, WHERE TANK AID WAS LACKING, THE 75TH BATTALION RECRUITED FROM THE MISSISSAUGA HORSE OF TORONTO SUFFERED VERY SEVERELY, ITS LOSS IN TWO DAYS BEING TWENTY-FOUR OFFICERS AND THREE HUNDRED TEN OTHER RANKS. THE 4TH CANADIAN DIVISION ATTACKED AT 5 A.M. IN SPITE OF NUMEROUS MACHINE-GUN NESTS INSIDE OUR BARRAGE, GOOD PROGRESS WAS MADE, and by dint of stiff fighting in many places the Droquan line in this sector was captured on time. Just beyond the last trench of this system, the eleventh brigade and certain battalions of the other two brigades were to leapfrog and continue the advance, but the approach to the leapfrog line and the ground for a great distance beyond it was swept by terrific machine gun fire from several angles our barrage here had shot itself out in the first phase of the attack and the only other weapons left were powerless to support further advance of the infantry under the circumstances the second phase of the attack was therefore postponed until the next morning but during the night the enemy retired to the far side of the canal du nord the eleventh brigade while waiting to go through was badly cut up on the arrasque cambrai road where enemy machine gunners lined the trenches on the slopes on either side, just east of Vion Artois, the 10th and 12th brigades lost heavily in their advance, coming under enfilade fire from the flank. But the spirit of the men was unconquerable, and even the walking wounded had no thought but of victory. The Boche is fighting damned hard," said a Seaforth Highlander of Vancouver. Seventy second battalion, but our lot have taken three trenches and are still going strong. Beyond Dury, the ground slopes back into a depression and then over another bare hillside down again into a rolling valley, commanded from the right by the heights held in strength by the enemy immediately west of the Canal du Nord and north of Marquion, and from the left by the fortified triangle of the three villages. Sardamon, Rumacourt, and Ecor saint quentin while the whole was swept by the enemy's heavy batteries situated on the east side of the canal, on the commanding eminence of wassy la vergere whence direct observation was obtained west to Dury, and along almost the entire Cambrai Road. In front of these defenses, on the open ground, which nowhere afforded cover of any kind, was an elaborate system of trench and wire with permanent machine-gun posts and it was before these that the division found it could make but very slow progress further to the left the fourth british division had a task no less difficult though different in character on its immediate front was a high bold hill strongly fortified and its left flank lay down in the valley of the trinqui river and amid swamps and marshes. The enemy clung all day in great force to the village of Itang, which was not captured by this division until the following morning. In the first rush forward good progress was made, many prisoners being captured. The men of the division were delighted to find themselves alongside the Canadians. "'We helped you Canadians save Arras last April,' said a wounded man of the 1st Hans Battalion and now we are pushing in with you again, but to a very different tune. After the close of the battle, Sir Archer Currie addressed a message of congratulation to the 4th British Division as follows. Your task from the beginning was an exceedingly difficult one. You took over in the middle of the battle, and advanced steadily each day over very bad ground against most serious opposition, finishing up by what must be for you one of the most satisfactory engagements in which you ever participated. Your success on Monday last was in keeping with your best traditions. The 4th Division testified in the most forcible manner to the fine fighting qualities of the troops comprising it. To me it was a peculiar satisfaction to have the 4th Division associated with us, because it was with them the 1st Canadian Division received its first instructions in the art of war. Monday's battle was not merely a success, it was a glorious victory. In the hand-to-hand fighting which characterized much of this day's battle, loss among regimental officers and NCOs was severe. Among the wounded were Lt. Col. L. T. McLaughlin of the 2nd Battalion of Ottawa and Lt. Col. C. C. Harbottle of the 75th Battalion of Toronto. Casualties in this fighting were very heavy, and it was only by the greatest exertions and contempt of danger that our stretcher bearers were able to bring in our wounded. Thus, Private John Francis Young was acting as a stretcher bearer attached to D Company, 87th Battalion, Grenadier Guards of Montreal. This company, in its advance over the ridge, suffered heavy casualties from shell and machine gun fire. Private Young, in spite of complete absence of cover, without the least hesitation, went out, and in the open fire swept ground, dressed the wound. Having exhausted his stock of dressings, on more than one occasion he returned under intense fire to his company headquarters for further supply. This work he continued for over an hour, displaying throughout absolute fearlessness, and his courageous conduct saved the lives of many of his comrades. Later, when the fire had somewhat slackened, he organized and led stretcher parties to bring in the wounded he had dressed. Our medical officers, too, displayed the greatest gallantry, of which the following is an example. Captain Belender Seymour Hutchison, who enlisted at Toronto, went through the Drokorquil line with his battalion under most intense shell, machine-gun, and rifle fire. With an utter disregard to personal safety he remained in the field until every wounded man had been attended to he dressed a seriously wounded officer under terrific machine-gun fire with the assistance of prisoners succeeded in evacuating him to safety immediately afterwards he rushed forward in full view of the enemy under heavy machine-gun and rifle fire to attend a wounded sergeant placing him in a shell-hole proceeded there to dress his wounds similar devotion to duty was exhibited by the chaplain service thus captain graham chaplain of the thirteenth battalion montreal highlanders when that unit suffered heavy losses in front of the upton wood went out repeatedly in front of our infantry line carrying in our wounded from off the wire he was subsequently wounded casualties among the battalion chaplains were particularly heavy during these operations so ended the great battle following its conclusion the third army south of us were able to march ahead rescuing village after village without firing a shot everywhere south of us the enemy was falling back only to the north behind the flooded valley of the scarp and the sense he clung to his line end of part 2 chapter 7 recording by gerald hawkins for librivox.org